Hey all you Bonsai Time Podcast listeners, this is your host Kevin, coming at you with some new episode release. I know it's been a while, but we got something special for you. This interview will be released in a three-part series, meaning that this month we'll have three episodes released with a continuation of each episode. So stay tuned and find out more about our guest, Dennis Makashima, learning about his journey in Bonsai, his life, and his experience overall. We look forward to hearing what you have to think, say, feel, all the above about this episode and the way we're releasing it. And feel free to comment and or like and or subscribe. Remember, stay tuned and bonsai on. Hey, my name is Dennis Makashima. I'm uh, yesterday's news in bonsai, but that's all right. And I appreciate the opportunity to spew a few, a few pros of wisdom for the bonsai podcast here. Is it centered out of uh, Columbus, Ohio? Yep. Well, yeah, we're in Columbus. You're in uh, Oakland, Columbus. San Francisco? Berkeley. Uh, you know, I'm Berkeley. in El Cerrito, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. okay. Which is across the bay from San Francisco. Okay. But uh, thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, my first and last podcast, I believe. No problem. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, again, I, I can't emphasize enough. I'm a uh, faded glory. Mm. Mind, I used to be famous, but that's in my mind. So who knows? When you when you were applying for your apprenticeship, did that have any particular um, notion about possibly finding more of your roots or your heritage? Is yeah, that why? That was, that was okay. Was, geez, and, how, and how did you apply for it at, at that time? You know, there was no internet or anything no, that way. I actually didn't apply, but I was uh, I was recruited. Okay. And, and then they they thought I was I you know I represent all of you. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like the one that they they picked because not only was I uh, able to, I, I had advanced quite a bit in my bonsai hobby because of who I hung around with and all the aggressive learning. Mm-hmm. They thought it was a novelty too to be Japanese American and go back to your country of ancestry. But yeah, so that was part of it, and I was really fortunate. Mitsuya, he he housed me and Kathy, mm-hmm. live with the family. You know, and then you do things Japanese, you know, and then you realize too that, you know, he's a very famous man. So, you know, even when we went out to dinner with our clients, mm-hmm. this stuff is almost inedible to an American. That stuff is still moving on your plate. This is stuff like that. But this is still, you know, I eat octopus and you eat that mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's really, the suction cups get stuck inside your throat. Yep. You get kind of sucking it up. Where's the hot dogs, man? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of it. And then I uh, i was an exception because the guy who was president at the time, John Planting, mm-hmm. he very smart man. And he worked with the consul, the consulate in Japan because uh, you couldn't get on, a, at that time, a student visa. Mm-hmm. That would apply to like, universities and things like that. So this was an apprenticeship and it wasn't really you know, covered. It was kind of the same thing. So he had to amend certain things, and then I was—I got to go for one year. Mm-hmm. But then it became very inconvenient for my instructor, so I, I disbanded that. I, he had to take me to the uh, American consul consulate. Yep. And in our area, um, every so many months you got to check in every three months or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. With so a passport, right? Yeah, it, it took a whole yeah. 
they do that. So this is, I'll just come from on a tourist visa from this point on, 30 days, 90 days at a time. Mm-hmm. So I went back and forth to Japan like seven times during my apprenticeship. Wow. But it worked out because I'm a true trainer and I, I didn't abandon all my clients. So I came back home. It was very exhausting. If you have three months of intense work in Japan, you come back here and you three or four or five months of intense tree pruning to catch up. Mm-hmm. Plus I'm married. I had other kind of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Then you go back to Japan, you know, you go back to Japan tired and you come back from Japan tired. Mm-hmm. I hate it. You know, it's like, uh, but it wasn't easy mm-hmm. without income. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you find what you were hoping to find when going to Japan as far as your heritage or history of ancestry or how you felt to be? Uh, more than that. It wasn't so much the, the heritage. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm a, I like to think I'm a people person. So just dealing with the common Japanese person, you know, how they mm-hmm. thought, you know, and I, I just, I soon learned to hang out in coffee shops. Mm-hmm. People want to have a dialogue. They want to learn English and I want to learn Japanese. So that was, uh, you, know, you have to learn a lot about society, people, how they think. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, you got to hope, bite your tongue sometimes. Is well, you know, we're really being progressive here. And women are really making advancements. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a minority there. It's, it's a pretty homogenous society. Right. There are Koreans, Filipinos, and others working there, but they're, they're really not incorporated into the society. Mm-hmm. Like, we need your work, but we don't want you to live and stay here. Mm-hmm. And don't procreate, you know. So I'm sitting there and yeah, you know, it's talking about how much the women have progressed. It's, it, to me, it's, it's like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the great big quantum leap. But uh, even in bonsai, you saw it. There's uh, only a few women that do bonsai, especially in those days. Mm-hmm. You see them in the magazines, like a novel, they were, they're doing short little tiny things, mommy and stuff, little accent plants. Oh, God, that's kind of like. You know, I talk to these people, they're competent, they could do just what I was doing, but they were just relegated to a, a certain generality. And it was more like that cute, cute idea. Oh, this it's is cute. Novelty. Yeah. But you know, I was a novelty, but after a while, I wasn't because you know, they want to interview me all the time, but it was never mm. the paper. Right. So you get past like half a question. I, I learned I learned the words, but I don't know, and I'm an mm. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's it you know so if i had been more if i had been bilingual i would have been pretty prominent in japan okay because i was you know from here and then you know but i couldn't i couldn't grasp the basic conversation with with your parents speaking bilingual with your parents were running again your your parents were interred into yes. camps so when they came out and you don't answer this no problem but um as far as history uh were they less likely to speak Japanese to you because of what their experience was? Absolutely. Okay. Fabric of my generation, especially urbanites. Mm-hmm. The emphasis was that, you know, like our parents, that's how we got screwed because we, you know, they didn't change religions. My parents were Buddhist, you know, and they didn't mm-hmm. Christianity mm-hmm. just like that. Right. But, uh, you know, so all, if there's any opportunity to speak Japanese, we won't. Not even at home or? And uh, they didn't require the kids to go to Japanese language schools, not like before World War II. Right, right. I so said we were not quite gangbangers, but all my friends, you know, none of us were like, you know, we're all like brain dead. We just got in trouble all the time. Mm-hmm, As mm-hmm. it turned out, you know, all my friends were construction guys, teamsters. Mm-hmm. All the girls were smarter than us. So they went to college, but they never used a degree. Mm-hmm. So 
like my wife was a good example. She, she was a bookkeeper, but after 40, 40 years at the same company and then, you know, doing well, being competent, always showing up, never sick, working hard, mm-hmm. no mistakes. You know, she, she was CFO for the company, a large corporation. Mm-hmm. And all her friends, you know, they were secretaries and stuff at UC Berkeley or public health or, or the department of DMB. And they just worked their ways into supervisor positions because they were there so long and they did such a good job. Mm. But no one went to school for, you know, a PhD in business or anything like that. Right. And so all of us, you know, we all succeeded. My friends were great construction guys, plumbers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did well. And I was like, uh, I worked at a produce store. Where I got into pruning and then all of a sudden I, I was, uh, lo and behold, I started my own field. I, to me, I could see the future, you know, urban living, smaller and smaller yards. Mm-hmm. Ohio might be still okay, but, you know, Midwest, I'm sure they got big lawns and stuff out there. We got, yeah. Get, it's, yeah, much bigger yeah, than California and Seattle for sure. Yeah, it's, it's like, not as dense right now. Yeah, you know, places getting subdivided into another property and mm. next to each other. No one wanted that big tree anymore. Fifties mm-hmm. mm-hmm. are popular, but now you know, like it's a, it's a curse. You know, you got a redwood tree in your backyard. No one wants that thing except you. Yeah. <laughs> you drop stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. Crazy birds in there. People mm. got trees. Uh, you know, they take up all like magnolias elms and you know great big trees or loquats they drop fruit on your side and you don't want it mm-hmm. so i just thought urban trees got to be smaller in scale to a small yard mm-hmm. and since they become more important like japanese maples as the aesthetics are very important so, so you, I, you you started pruning before you did bonsai correct six months earlier okay how did you even start your aesthetics i know ryan's going to ask you more questions about this because he trained Milwaukee style pruning with dan and you know love to hear differences with that but did you just kind of create your own curriculum for your own self or just trial and error how did that come about all the about i created my own stuff but i thought i, I thought i was a genius i said i just observed trees i said there's a bias mm-hmm. on the tree and never no such thing as a symmetrical tree in landscape right there's the wind the sun there's gravity mm-hmm. You know, and I said, so it's the only time I ever seen a symmetrical tree is a human being did it. So yeah. I just, you know, I'm going to prune the tree as if, if I take out these things, that's what nature would do, where mm-hmm. branches actually drop off. You know, so when I finish, I could take a 30 year tree away and still look like no one's been there. I and mean, that was kind of popularity. You can make it square, triangle, you know, you can make it like a big bonsai, but I'd make a smaller version of what would naturally exist. Mm. You no, know, no, no. I, I've had 105 apprentices in tree pruning. Wow. But the same thing. You know, it's like uh, observe. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're dealing with the public. So sometimes people are crazy and they, they want to <laughs> yeah. pay a lot of money, make it square. Or the clients. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, I worked on, uh, my career gravitated toward uh, historical trees. So I got a chance to go to across the United States to different arboretums. You know, and I, uh, Consulted, worked on, and I worked on a lot of World, World's Fair trees that came from 1915 Pan Pacific World's Fair. You know, people think you're the keeper of the aesthetics. Great, you know, great occupation for me. But I, uh, there's the Niwaki style, but there's what we do here in the Japanese garden stuff is it's Japanese, Japanesque. You go to Japan, you know, I found it was a lot, it looked different. Mm. Plus, there's a more meticulousness there. Or you know, you have wounds that you sharpen the edge with a knife or a grafting knife instead of just making a sharp cut at the collar. Mm-hmm. But 
here, you know, it's like we should be doing all this stuff, but until time catches up, you know, budget's an issue. Yeah. You know, people want to pay. So I said, just get it close. And one day someone really wants to, or someone buys that house and wants to go all the way out. But Japanese garden pruning is only good for Japanese gardens. Right. You know, you can't prune a California coastline oak that way or. Right. They won't grow. They won't grow right. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes like 50 days to do it. Mm. You know, you just got to get it done. And mm. so I was always, uh, it might seem kind of brutal, but I always saw it first. Mm. I took out some structural branches that I knew were going to be problems later on. And then I wait a year to the moon callus and then make a, the next level cuts, the next level cuts. And in five years, I can, I'm down to detail. By mm. then, I can talk to the clients. I get to know them very well. They know me. And then just, I keep the bill reasonable because I'm doing it incrementally. I said, here's, mm. if I did it for like five days work at one time, you know, it's going to cost you five days work. If I do it like, you know, like big, I call it the big ugly to the little ugly. You know, I told students, don't try to make the Mona Lisa the first time through. If I kill the tree mm. or too many wounds to callus, I said, just rough it out the first time. A little bit better the second time, and then you get to the semi-style stage, and from there you can, instead of taking out a branch that's about the diameter of a baseball bat, mm. you know, you can take a branch out that's about the size of a quarter, mm-hmm. get down to the size of a pencil. Mm-hmm. You're doing detail work, and if that's what you want, man, I got my Moscone scissors, and I'll take all day on that. <laughs> Did you ever have a client that was giving you grief over uh, removing the large branches, or the amount of time that it was taking to make it into a, a beautiful Milwaukee or me never you sold them on your vision is what I, I mean I, I, I just talk my butt off I tell yeah. <laughs> before you start this, these are the ground rules this is what I got to do mm-hmm. or I can't I can't possibly achieve our goal unless we take out some big ones mm-hmm. you know like uh if you just chop a tree then it's going to water sprout like crazy and you never it's like quicksand you never get over that right but if I took the head off a pine, you know, then what I do is I, I got to nurture the bottom branches for like five years, get them stronger, stronger. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, I, but I was really whittling down the top all along the way. So I can weaken the zone of strength and I strengthen the zone of weakness. Mm-hmm. Finally, I got so little left at the top, you know, I can take it off. But in the room, I started a new leaf. And then the bottom can support the life of the tree. Mm-hmm. You know, like a pine, they pick a dominant, you cut the head off, you cut off like, 67% strength of the tree, and then the tree dies. Right. So this is common sense, logical thought. Figure out the, what you want to tell people. And then my 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 mantra was, if I, you keep me for three years, I got you. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, you're like forever, boy. <laughs> so they'll be demanding that I do these next things. They're great, you know. But I that that's been my career. Mm. My former students, they're very smart. They're nationally known now, but the thing is this. Some started very shy or some were not aggressive at all. Mm-hmm. When it's time to take that branch off, you got to take it off. You can't procrastinate. We've cut it back in half. Mm-hmm. Next year, you got to come back and take it all the way off. Right. But you got to get that thing off the tree. You know, mm-hmm. you take what happens up. You'll lose that bottom branch. And shame on you. You should have taken this off when you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you get pines and, you know, bottom dies, inside dies. You got the big old pom pom on a stick. Mm-hmm. Well, and, well, I can't do anything with that. But I can make it, you know, the, the whole thing with big up your little. I can make it a little less offensive to you if I could just, you know, I, I can still work with this thing. I just can't make it beautiful. Mm-hmm. It won't be this big bulbous thing sticking on top of your tree. But when did you start uh, teaching these classes? At, I believe it was, was it Lake Merritt College or Merritt College? College. Okay. It's a community college. Okay. 
the horticulture department was really progressive. Mm. So I, I, after about three years of my self pruning, I mean, I taught myself just a, it's a small community here in Oswego and a lot of need for aesthetics of pruning. Mm -hmm. Big Japanese American population. That's how I started, but I didn't want to specialize in Japanese gardens. Right. I just have Japanese black pine and maple were prevalent all over the place, so you you can't help but work on those. And it was lucrative. Mm -hmm. I worked on, you know, camellias, zetas, rhododendrons, Pierre japonica, crab apples, flowering cherries, flowering plums. I I like that. California natives. Mm -hmm. My specialty was anything that grows in the garden that could be pruned. I enjoyed it all, whether you have a Mediterranean-style garden or uh, English cottage garden. You show me where it's going to go, and I, I can prune your tree to fit in. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so yeah, yeah and then it's, it's a long-term process, but it's enjoyable for everybody. Right. But I, right. I taught myself because I worked on a French tree, and you know, as a, he was a plumber, but he made a lot of money in those days, the crafts and trades, and I bought my house 50 years ago, and I mean, all my friends were, you know, they fixed my air conditioning, my, my heating, they fixed my plumbing, my electricity. Mm. These are all in the trades. And I had to reciprocate. So I was in a produce store. I don't think you want a box of apples or something. So <laughs> friend had a sawzall working on his pine. You know, I guess he bought a pretty nice house. Mm. I don't know what you're doing. You know, I could do better than that. I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I could do better than you. Like, <laughs> that person told somebody else, told somebody else. And within one year, I had about, 35 accounts. Wow. And I started as a, uh, no one starts this way. Because the pine I worked for my friend, it just so happened that his, his uncle was Toast Sabaramaru, a famous bonsai master and landscaper. Mm. I worked on his tree day, you know, in front of my friend's house. And then the, he told the auto mechanic, the auto mechanic, you know, hey, I'll fix your car. Can you work on my tree? Wow. He, the next city over, and he had this 300 year old red pine in front of his house. Wow. Done in a Japanese garden style. It's beautiful. I didn't know it was a red pine. It was a pine's a pine. Mm. So this stuck out like a bad hairdo. I just cut it back and nothing fancy. Mm. And then I found out that uh, it was historically significant tree. And his father was a gardener. And he was given that tree from one of his clients in a, a couple of cities over. He brought that tree to Berkeley. And 20 years later, they dug that tree up and moved it to the you know, next city over. They mm. moved. It was beautiful. It, it was like the Statue of Liberty of, of great red pines. Wow. I found out later, you know, it's kind of, you got to be careful with those things because they're cold climate, high mountain trees. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can't cut it like a Japanese black pine. But, you know, I, I, wow, that was my second job. The third job was this guy, uh, yeah, another guy had a Japanese black pine, you know, and he was a friend of the auto mechanics. And I worked at his house and I found out later this guy is so meticulous. Mm. I looked up, I just had a wooden ladder and I had leave my tarps underneath the ground because I didn't want to clean things up. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, he, he says, well, I like the way you cleaned up. And I like the fact that you had the ladder and you didn't climb in the tree. If you work on a pine, you step on the bark and you ruin it. Right. So he said, you know, you're hired. And I found mm-hmm. out the most particular guy in the whole community said, you can work for this guy. You got to be good. That's I'm good. It's all right. Yeah, I, I, I pleased him. <laughs> I mean, that's how my career just took off. My first five trees were all really significant trees or significant clients. Did you ever get your clients into bonsai at all, or were they already appreciative of it? Yeah. Well, yeah, one was trying, hmm. you know, and then others were kind of dabbled in it. 
but they actually came up to me. I, I started a bonsai club there, so they, they came up and took some lessons, and I had a, I was rocking and rolling, so I had the key to the facility. Because mm-hmm. uh, I had, the, I was like the, the golden egg. I had the goose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they could see that aesthetic training was starting to catch on. It was really popular. And it, so I, I started some classes up there, aesthetic training, and then they were like, it's a fee class. And it's a Saturday, half a day, pay your 20 bucks. And I'll teach you about, one class was on maple, one was on pine, one was on conifers, one was on flowering trees and shrubs, mm-hmm. one was on focal point pruning, one was on big picture pruning. You know, anything I can make up, I made up 14 classes on the spot. <laughs> I just made it up. I had no, you know, no outline. I just made it up. Mm. And all of a sudden, these things start getting videotaped and everything else. And, but the department knew they, you know, the, the normal people that take D classes was like, they struggle at 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, 15 students to get the D class going. So anything short of that, and a lot of times they were struggling to get to 15. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the floor arrangement classes, a lot of other stuff. They all folded because they couldn't, couldn't get the number. I had 75, 80 people in these classes. Wow. So I mean, they could see it coming. Hey, this is great, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, here's the key. Do what you want. Mm-hmm. Any class you want. So I got the big horticulture room. I had uh, had my workshop there. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate. Some very prominent on-site people. Uh, kind of like my first students, but they did go right by you. This kind of boom. Boone, Boone, you're out, Monikita Depart. Yeah, Boone, yeah. 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 Well, he he was, and, you know, I just, I think I gave him his bonsai basics lessons. Him and his partner, uh, yeah. Mm. Him and his partner, Morton Wellhaven, this guy, Jim Gremmel, he was a vendor, very good bonsaiist. But they all took the workshops. Mm. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you can see that they're better than you, even on the instructor. Yeah. You know, I just kept ordering the room, but you know, they just couldn't out BS me. I had always had, I had an answer to their question, and I had, you know, <laughs> I made it up. But anyway, <laughs> that's kind of like how I got started at Merit. It just they asked me if I'm taking classes there because I had jumped ahead of horticulture. I just pruned trees. Mm. I thought I needed to go back and learn something about, you know, arboriculture. Mm-hmm. So I took classes. They said they heard of me, and can I teach classes? Sure. That's how I got started. You know, six months later, that's how I met Masa Mizumi at a family function, and it was like, mm. started bonsai, and the two parallel things. They're both forty years. And then I, uh, I retired from pruning about five years ago, okay. and then I, since I donated my collection, that was last year, and I consider that the end of my uh, bonsai career. How how was that for you? I know there are certain people now who are retiring from the hobby or their lifestyle, as they choose to claim. And they said some of the hardest things I've ever done because it's like their children are leaving home. Um, They may keep a few around just to have that resonation, you know, the the resonance of like, oh, I'm still here. Uh, How how was that for you? Is it like a sigh of relief? Like, oh, I can just give it on to someone else and kind of breathe and be more time available for the things or, you know. Maybe four or five things that people would say, but it was like none applied to me. I had a plan Mm. years ago. When does it end? Mm. In like these old timers, you know, they're barely hanging on. The trees are barely hanging on, or they die, and the family inherits them, and the plants die. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't want that. So I figured uh, when I started, I figured forty years is a good time. Right. So I worked hard to get my collection at at, uh, at its prime, mm-hmm. best I can do. You know, if you get one of these things, and that's it. You know, I'm finished with this this tree. Even though others think that you know they can improve it by contemporizing it, but to me. 
concept, the art, what I was trying to achieve, I did. So that's when I, I always get out on top. I never hang around. If I was a president of the Federation, one term only, you know, people who want to, they want to do good, hang on for a second term, they always screw up with these athletes. You know, they should have retired like last year. Mm -hmm. Fools now. Leave on the high note. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. Of course, the money is offering you millions of dollars. It might be different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind, but I don't want to be on, you know, I, I hope these people don't be on the front stage. You still can make a difference, but get out. And so I never want to hang around. I don't want that door slamming on my butt. So mm -hmm. I decided this is the height I could do it. And I got a lot of, uh, actually, in Japanese American community, fame and glory from donating my trees. Mm. I said, I got into it for pure reasons. Mm -hmm. Sure, you know, someone could have put things on the internet and got me a lot of money for that stuff. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't, uh, I was lucky. I just kept my wife working for a long time. So we we're independently wealthy here. She <laughs> worked tonight, but unfortunately. <laughs> but I, uh, you miss them? No, it's like, the lessons I got from bonsai, it's, it's internal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I understood the lessons of each tree and what they're trying to do and the importance of life and taking care of and the duty and obligations. Mm -hmm. I travel the world, but I have to make sure my plants are watered. Mm -hmm. And when I, I started all over, I, I, in 1990, 91, 92, when I went to Japan, I got rid of all my plants that I had. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to be home. Who's going to take care of them? Not, not my wife. That's a good point. So I just, and I start all over when I came back. Mm. Like, that's good because you can start all over with new eyes. So all my, you know, as a tree pruner, I got a lot of urban collecting. Like people have, ah, mm. they want that old juniper there. They want an azalea. Oh, mm. You dig it up, I'll pay for it. Oh, I mean, they, ask, they pay me to dig up the plant. Oh, okay, I'll do it. That's the best deal. <laughs> uh, I dug up thousands of plants and all very. That's what we do in Ohio. And I have a landscape and pruning business and Ryan does some pruning and things on the side as well. And um, we find a lot of material from yards. Like, you know. Sell them on the flowers every time. <laughs> I got a, I got a tree in Japan. It's, it's at uh, it's Mitsuin Park. It's a very famous tourist park in Shikoko Island mm -hmm. in the city of Takamatsu. Uh, you know, there's like three big tourist gardens in Japan. Korakuen, Okayama, Kenokuen, Ken Kanazawa, and then Ritsuin mm -hmm. in uh, Takamatsu. And, uh, uh, I didn't know they had sister garden relationships. I know California and Japan got sister city relationships. Right. But the, so the Ritsuin part wanted to uh, exchange with the Huntington. Oh, wow. You know, so the Huntington, uh, you know, they were going to send, send to the Huntington. There's really nice in Papa Jennifer. I don't know. From the mountains and historically significant. Mm -hmm. And they wanted from the Huntington a camellia. Mm. You know, like, camellia, Japonica, what do you think Japonica means? It comes from Japan. You know, like, why would you want a camellia that was born in, in California? That, that, that's a variety that you already know. <clears throat> and then the Ted Matson, a good friend of mine, and he was a curator of the collection down there. He, they didn't have anything down in Southern California. So he, he says, Ah, you guys from Northern California, I know you guys have good camellias. And no one got camellias there. But I had, uh, I had uh, one that one of my one of my former clients. He was a camellia fancier, mm -hmm. judge, but he wanted to show his own. You know, he had a rare flower, one kind of a reddish thing. And he didn't win the prize. So he said, "I get this tree out of here, you know, the landscape tree. But I don't want it." So I dug it up. It took twenty years to shorten it. It was like five feet tall to get it down to one foot tall. Oh, wow. out of it. 
you know, but it was a fun process. It was free. Right. It was like, I go, Ted, look, you know, I got one, but you know, I, you can't send it to Japan. They would just throw this thing against the wall. It'd be so distant. <laughs> but he said, well, he, you know, he said, I'll just send it to you anyway. You, you know, you decide. So finally, you know, he decided to send it to Japan and they, they liked it so much that it's on display there. Wow. So I got a chameleon on display there. I got. That's okay. amazing. I got pine. I got plants all over the place. I got one uh, not Ohio, but in Minnesota. I got a box of it there. Okay. Okay. You know, Como Conservatory. But I got uh, I was lucky. You know, my my career. I got to pass along trees. Mm. But also, again, it's not the physical the physicality of a tree in my yard. Mm. I finally made the complete donation of about a thousand plants. So I would say seven hundred be classified as a bonsai. Okay. I would say 200 were like uh, almost there. Mm-hmm. Or two more years of seasoning. Mm-hmm. And then I had like uh, two or 300 plants. That I actually used my front yard as a growing ground. Oh, wow. Because you know, I did so many workshops. You didn't need, need 10, 11 per workshop. Mm-hmm. So I had a, every year I'd be digging up 100 plants in front. But every year I, you know, I would, uh, I had some that were in the ground for, every one was in the ground no more than a year. I just pick it up, turn it around, cut the root. Do some tree, you know, pruning on the circumference of the canopy, mm-hmm. but with their mind that it's going to be a, a workshop, you know. And then I had like someone in the ground for one year, two years, and I took the whole row out that was in the, you know, basically ten year process. I had cuttings going, so I just stuck the, you know, and from a one gallon can, put it back in, in those slots. Mm-hmm. Every year, you know, I was taking out and replenishing. So I had wow. pine, heavy black pines and sheen pocket junipers growing in the front. Wow. But I thought, you know, I, I kept the same height. Look like a ground cover. Okay, smart. Look behind, you see all the trunks and stuff. I thought it was pretty slick. You know? mm. <laughs> I didn't want them in my, you know, my yard too much room. I mean, they take up too much space. Right. You know, that was like, everything's gone. There's nothing basically, nothing alive in my yard now. <laughs> wow. So you don't get any withdrawal symptoms like craving to prune a tree or dig a tree these days? Now that you gave yeah, away all no, your trees? Not at all. I mean, I, I I'm very not ambitious, but I'm very, uh, I'm always moving on to the next thing. Mm. I like to go all out, complete the mission, and get out. Mm. But I know in this case, you know, you're, you're talking about the Japanese-American legacy or history of bonsai in the United States. Maybe, you know, maybe you've interviewed other people, maybe my conception of, of bonsai starting in California is wrong. I don't know. Mm. But I knew, you know, a friend of mine, his name is Toichi Demoto. He died like a 10 years ago, but he was like 100 years old. Wow. He had a nursery in Hayward, California, nearby. But his father had a nursery in Oakland, hmm. in 90. Oh, amazing, you know, Japanese guy with a nursery. And he's, but his place was famous because he, at the turn of the century, they, it was agricultural law started to set in. Mm-hmm. But they could really import these things as easily. So that, but the World's Fair, Japan sent to, uh, a lot of trees to Mr. Demoto's father's nursery. You know, one a quarantine thing, but to keep them so that they will beat the import regulations. Right. So you know, trees. You know, so they did exist. And not, have you heard of a guy named Dr. Tom Elias from Washington D.C.? Anybody? Maybe. He was for arboretum. He wasn't just in charge of the bonsai thing. Okay. He wanted to meet some of the old time. He did a little book or something on history of bonsai you know, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it was kind of like segmented to like, like Brooklyn and things, the people that brought things in, but it wasn't like a, a mass movement or hobby. Mm. So he, 
he asked my friend Hideko to set up a meeting. So it was like, a, it was kind of Pizza Gawara, Toji Nomoto, Mitsumohara, Tosama. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, the, you know, I, don't know, I was like a fly on the wall. I was there, because I, I knew Toichi, so I helped Hideko set up that part. And they right. just talked about bonsai in the old days. It was just, I was very lucky to hear a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And one thing, why one re- two regrets, this thing I cannot find. I know it's still somewhere in the house, but it's like a, a little brochure from the Yokohama Trading Company, oh, wow. 1890-something. Mm-hmm. They show you pictures for on-site for sale, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a photograph. It was a watercolor drawing. Each wow. <laughs> I can't find anything, but Toji gave it to me. And, you know, it's like what happens. A lot of this is all stuff, and you know, junk dump a lot of stuff. Can I have that? And, the only thing I can't find are army dog tags. I don't know what happened to those things. I know I had them away, but mm. I wanted to keep those. But, uh, mm-hmm. so these old timers, uh, I got to, you know, again, Toichi had this thing. One of the people that I, I learned a lesson, he said that you want to prune a deciduous tree, especially with the emphasis on the winter silhouette. Mm-hmm. He had his workshop and he had like a backlight, a sheet, a backlight. And he said, you put the tree there, you can see the, it's crystal clear, all the little twigs, the ramification on the tree. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I pruned a lot of my deciduous trees close to dusk. Mm-hmm. And all the little twigs they just stand out. It's easy to identify each one and prune the way you, you know, feel the tree want to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. So he taught me that. I, from a guy named uh, Hiroshi Suzuki in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, he had his own little workshop you know, in his garage. And we just get drunker and stomp. You know, he's like... <laughs> You make yeah, the best cuts. You know, I I I sought him out because he was a uh, humble man. Mm. I'm not humble, but I wanted to understand what is what the character is all about. So I decided to spend time with a humble man. Mm. I, mean, I mean, he was great, but he never told you he was great. Mm. But he was another California fixture. And, Mitsumohara was almost like a, a plant scientist. You know, he was a, mm-hmm. was a Japanese gardener, San Mateo, that he was the curator of, and it became like nationally known. Wow. Because, you know, he, it was a county job, and he spent like, you know, 16 hours a day there. And it was like, he was his passion. You know, he moved like maybe about six blocks away from the place. <laughs> but, you know, he, his, his, he, he had the San Mateo bonsai club, and then they, every, every exhibition was based on education. Mm. You know, so it was very interesting, very sophisticated thing. And we learned a lot just by, you know, listening to the man. That's funny guy, too, they found out his history. He was like a, he was a soldier in the Imperial Army in Japan at World War II. Whoa. He was a Manchuria or something like that. Dang, you know, he was an engineer, but mm. over here, you know, maybe a gardener. Mm. But uh, that's part of, it's important for me to, this is it. I mean, this is actually after. It's like the uh, chocolate after the, you know, the dessert after dinner. Mm-hmm. This is the last time I'll probably talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. One is no one cares. Number two is you know, I'm out of it. Mm. You want to know something about each one of these people while I knew them? That's great. And if you want to know about their philosophy, I can't tell you that. Right, right. And Mr. Mahara, you know, I, I, I helped him with a lot of his classes. They want to be the interpreter for him. Mm-hmm. He was speaking English. He just had a kind of a speech impediment. Mm. You can't, you know, people just shut off. You hear some accents like that, they just shut off. And, right. You know, here I'm interpreting his English. You know, I, I had a chance to 
work closely with these people. Here, here, all I, I helped them maybe about thirty times on his workshops. You know, we had like thirty assistants. We're all there. This guy be fighting all, you know, climbing and climbing with each other. But it's very interesting. You know, he, I learned something with, him, with each person. Hmm. Like uh, Harry, you know, he had to wire from this branch to that branch. He tell you wire everything. I wired and. And he would cut the branch off, and you know, the anchoring branch with the wire. He cut that thing off, and he look at this one; it's not anchored. You know? He'd look at, <laughs> what do I do? You just cut this branch off. <laughs> so I learned to, you know, take that wire and hook it onto a dead piece, mm. maybe once, so that you know he can cut the branches off. Everybody has their nuances. Mm. And there's, uh, have you heard of Hideko Me Taxes? What's that? Oh yeah, well she's still alive. She's in the nineties, but she's great. Mm. One of the very few Renaissance people that I ever met. John Naka, Hideko me taxes. I didn't meet Homei Isayama, but I know of him. But Hideko was, uh, she was a master at four different Japanese artistic disciplines. Wow. Bonsai master, a suiseki master, uh, Iki Noble master. And she was also a master at uh, Tokonoma display. Wow. You know, and then she became really important because all the Japanese masters, when they came here, they needed an interpreter. Mm. But bilingual, she's real funny. So yeah, she, the entertainment factor. So sometimes you don't want the direct interpretation. It's just like, but she was a bonsai person. So she knew what the person was trying to do. Mm. At times we had interpreters, but then they couldn't interpret the horticulture part. You know, they were just interpreters. So I, I had a chance to, uh, you know, I spent 40 years. She went, she lives in Marin County. When amongst the redwoods, but she uh, just you meet these people and what they can do. Have you heard of Mr. Morimai from uh, Japan? I have, yeah. Big uh, purveyor of Japanese bonsai tools and antiqu antiquity. Mm -hmm. Every time he comes here, you know he always visits Hideko. And, mm. you know, and I'm always asked to pick him up. Hideko put him up in a hotel. He and his wife, and then I would pick him up and go to Hideko's for. A, a rack of lamb dinner. And I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was leery the first time because you know I, I can't speak Japanese, and, mm. but you know I found out he knew just enough English so we had a conversation. But he was a real, he is a real expert on Tokonoma uh, display mm. at the Tommy Room. So just before dinner, you know, I could smell the rack of lamb. Oh my God, it's starving. <laughs> and then Miss uh, Morimai, he sat there. He explained how to, as 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 far as a gracious gesture for dinner, he said, "I'm gonna explain how to enter the tatami room." Mm -hmm. He says, "This is how you open the door. You know, you, yeah, you got to open it partially first and look in and see if there's any superiors in the room. Mm -hmm. Superiors, and you walk in. You almost have to crawl in the room. You know, but like us three, then you can stand up tall as you want. You know." He went to this thing for like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, half hour. Then he went to the tokonoma and the scroll accent piece. And all this other stuff, the meaning of the scroll. You got like a, a harvest moon, you know, or you get the, you got a full moon with a snow goose going through it, or the winter scene, or the summer scene. And mm. They talk for an hour. Wow. You, know, you learn a lot. You know, I mean, it's like you could never get that kind of knowledge. I mean, just, he just talked and I was hungry and heck, man. Like, <laughs> you learn a lot. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's uh, the people you hang around with. So I'm very fortunate to hang around with not only the top Japanese professionals, mm -hmm. but also, you know, the Japanese-American legacy. 
you know, I, I knew the 1950s thing because my father was alive. It's, there's a Shogatsu tradition. So in Japan, they got the same thing. New Year's celebration, everybody stops work, they go travel someplace, see family. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we got that same thing here. And, <clears throat> but the, uh, my father, you know, we all lived in the same close area, you know, within blocks of each other, all the other gardeners you know, go to their places for, the women took a beating. Mm. They had to cook all the food and host everybody and all the guys go and get drunk over there, get drunk over there. <laughs> so it's a different yards and I caught hell and me and my friends, you know, we're all like seven years old, we're playing football in the backyard, mm -hmm. balls and knocking these bonsais off the shelf. <laughs> ah, isn't that too good? One of people, I don't know, but that's my first experience with bonsai. It just, mm. I hated plants, but it just, just that's just the community you grew up in. Did your dad practice or do anything? No. Uh, he, I mean, it wasn't like he worked and then hated it. I mean, he, he, you know, we had some stuff around the garden and stuff and things like that. And my mom liked working in the garden too. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, he was more of a, you know, we had a, a typical Berkeley house in those days with big houses, big rooms, not many. Mm -hmm. So the living room was big and the dining room was big and a big old sliding door between it, you know, hardwood floors. So my, my siblings, my older brothers and sisters, they used to have dances there. Door and big old dance hall. <laughs> it was like six of us, and we only had two rooms, you know, like, but the, you know, the rest of it was all big rooms, but no bedrooms. So finally, my father built a, a room down in the basement. You know, the old basement got the big old duck work in there and stuff. And, and he made it a poker room. Mm -hmm. So we were still sleeping all together in a small room, but there was a <laughs> poker room downstairs. So he liked, <laughs> he liked poker and he liked fishing at the pier. Mm. You know, and I used to complain. Fishing at the pier was like, he's a perch and a goofy fish that you don't even want. Right. I wanted a hot dog or hamburger. I, mean, <laughs> I ain't complain a lot. I'm not going to eat this stuff. He mm. was on a supplement dinner. We were poor. Man, but like, that's why to this day, I still have a hard time eating you know, a lot of fish. Mm. But Japan, you change, you eat. Right. Even if it's still moving or whatever. You're hungry. <laughs> I do not like things that move and I don't like the texture, the slimy stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Some of this stuff is just to me it's gross. <laughs> oh well, but the yeah, it's I I lived that era. Mm. It's again, I have to clarify this is just my what I heard from some people and my interpretation of it. Have you heard that bonsai was prevalent in some other places in the United States before 1950? Not no, I haven't ran okay. about you. Yeah, it, the only thing that I'm not sure of is uh, the timeline of like if when exactly Yoshimura started in New York versus when exactly it started with the California Masters. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm sure the California Masters predated Yoshimura in California. Mm. Okay, he came from Japan, mm -hmm. Yoshimura, so you know, he must you know, obviously was famous there, so, but yeah. his practice in Japan was. It predates bonsai here, but until he got to the United States in California, and then he was uh, he was a friend of uh, Tosh Avramaru. So, and Tosh was very prominent at the time. And he was introducing Yuji to this area before he went to New York. Mm. But uh, he still considered Yuji Yoshimura. We all thought it was like somebody from Japan. Mm. You know, but he was obviously very skilled, very qualified, but. You know, he, I don't think he did any workshops or very few here. Mm. Uh, he was kind of passing through. He did some, he helped on some 
a couple of World's Fair trees that I know of. And then, uh, but, you know, no one never told me that they took a lesson from him. Or, you know, those days there was no convention or something. There was never a headliner or someplace. Right. That is the thing that's interesting that you bring it up. Because me being from Oregon and growing up in my bonsai, you know, development in that kind of scene where there's like Ryan Neal and all those Michael Hagedorns and, you know, then Ryan studying with Dan Robinson and then coming to the Midwest and feeling the um, both sides, mm-hmm. not competing with each other, but also not fighting with each other. But there's that, res- you know, resonance of like what was here before, what was here then, uh, you know, did you feel that when you came and visited Ohio? Uh, did you feel that certain influence from maybe East Coast more because it's closer, or is there a just difference of person that you're working with? Yeah, I I, I was there for very specific reasons. So I had mm-hmm. specialties, and then I don't think anybody challenged me as far as my specialty. Mm-hmm. But you know, I didn't say, "Well, this is it." Or, Republicans are better than Democrats, or Democrats are better than. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I never said that this is what you should do. Is this is what I do in California? Yeah. Or you take a plant that's kind of uh, used in Japan, or this is what they do in Japan, and why they do this this technique versus that technique. But I was always careful, and I'd say, this is what you should do in Ohio. Ash, mm-hmm. I said, well, given that, and I, I was always, like, I first went to Pennsylvania. I did, you know, I was, I knew Chase, and I knew, uh, you know anybody from the Delaware area? There was, uh, well, there was uh, Jack Billet, mm-hmm. and uh, Dory Froning. The old timers on the East Coast and showing people. Okay. No, I, I've never, I'm sure Chase has probably mentioned them before in passing, but. They um, were involved in this, uh, in Kent Square, there was a uh, Longwood Gardens. Mm-hmm. Very, it was like the old DuPont estate, but they have a one site collection. So I was there to work on that with them. But, you know, I was, I was always uh, I was very honored with the opportunity to not be challenged. You know, but I was always careful saying, you know, I ain't the answer. I mean, this, this is what I do and my interpretation. And mm. you saw something about me or you came mm. to California and saw me. You know, was, I, I did a lot of things at the National Arboretum in D.C. Nice. You know, so I, I, uh, <clears throat> but that's when Warren Hill was the curator there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was involved. And uh, uh, but I, I, again, part of it's just being personal about it was, Chase is, you know, a good old guy. Vito hmm. gave me a nice sweatshirt from Columbia. I wore that thing around. And <laughs> I got like a zillion pullover shirts and T-shirts from different clubs. And mm. I like free. That's fine. You know, wear them. Best price. <laughs> but I never got busted as far as saying, ah, what a hunk of crap you're talking about. Mm. You know, I wasn't that close to Dan Robinson at first. Mm-hmm. Still not, but it was just a, when I was at the Pacific Northwest Convention and I, they gave me carte blanche. So I, I gave like two workshops, a demo, and a discussion. Mm. Like along this way, you know, like old style bonsai and, you know, you invite Dan Robinson and others to come participate. Mm. You know, they appreciate that. Uh, I, so it wasn't like a, I'm the one that's going to critique you and just say what you got to say free country and then you know leave it at that mm. and didn't he get his first influences from korea yeah when he was in uh i think he was drafted into the army there too maybe around the same time as vietnam and yeah, you know I, that's how i understand it and then mm-hmm. you know he had a friend that lived in san francisco and then 
she asked Dan for one of his pines and she graciously gave her a pine. So it was very interesting. It was a Korean Japanese, a Korean black pine. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I never went to his place. You know, when I was in Washington, I went to Seattle several times, but I also went to uh, the two times I did bonsai presentations uh, in, in a convention was in uh, Spokane. Okay. Oh, that's mm-hmm. quite far. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I, just to get there, I made a big mistake. You know, I was, I walked up I fly up the coast all the time, you know. Yeah. Of the eastern side of uh, Oregon, eastern side of Washington. Big mistake, mm. man. This high desert is after five minutes. I was, man, I, I got another five more hours to try to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's quite different. Washington, there's no motels. You know, they're all like on the Columbia River or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going up, there's nothing there. And it's like, it got to be like two o'clock in the morning, you know. I, I, if I had to stop and roll sleep, or so I just push on for another hour and get to Spokane. <laughs> it, was, it was agonizing when you're just so tired, you know, like, uh, all by myself out there. I made it. But mm. I think uh, when I was on that, when I was there, another guy that uh, was on the program was Walter Paul from Germany. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah. I tore him up because he was he was severely jet lagged. Mm. He could have functioned that well in his demo, man. I, I did real good on mine. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times, well, like in Texas, it was a, I was on the program with Mark Nolanders. Mm. You know, so different places, you get to meet everybody because you're on the same program. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these people are just... Uh, when I, I did something in Spain, and there was all the European artists were there. All just great technicians. Right. What, what... I, you know, my, my perspective was... Uh, Where's the no knock on them really? But I just thought, where's the where's the uniqueness in your tree? Where's the heart? What's the story? Their personality, right? Yeah, and then we were talking about uh, answering questions and stuff and learning. Mm-hmm. In Europe at that time, you, you were not basically encouraged to ask questions during a demo. Mm. In fact, some of the people actually turned their back on you. They work on their tree. And, you know, the audience is there, and after about a half hour, everybody leaves and comes back. Wow. I was on. I was. I was uh, one of the headliners for the European bonsai convention. It was in Toledo, Spain, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I think I set the precedent. Mm. The first thing you know, I got, I had like that trip that from hell. And I got, I got. It took me thirty six hours to get there. Wow! And I got stuck in airplanes, <laughs> off out airports, you know, uh, on the tarmac. Because mm. I left from San Francisco and my, my Leroy was in Miami, mm-hmm. and I was over the Gulf. Everything was going great, you know. And then uh, the plane started to circle around the Gulf. Wow, well, we got this thing from Miami that lightning had knocked out the radar. So oh, had, wow. you know, holding pattern for a while. And so after three hours, the guy said, "We're running out of fuel. <laughs> you know, no fuel. And there's no place to land." And it's, you know, so we finally, you know, this really obscure airport in Georgia, but they they can hold a jet. Mm. We couldn't land in Miami, and Atlanta was just inundated with too much traffic. So we sat there, we landed on the tarmac, and we stayed there for three hours in the plane. Wow. Oh, you know, we couldn't get into a, a gate because they're all taken mm-hmm. by planes that couldn't get to Miami. <laughs> uh, and then we finally get in the airport. You got to wait another five hours there. There was no connecting flight. Mm-hmm. And it got to Miami, and then you know, there's a zillion people waiting in line. I mean, you know, you want it. It was like two in the morning, and I finally got to the front. And, you know, oh, it's just there's no flight. You know, you have to put you on hold over for the next day. You know, 24 hours later, 
a convent, uh, banquet was at 11 o'clock, ended at one in the morning. And then we had a walking tour of Toledo from one to three. Because the head of the convention, he was a uh, prominent architect and he was involved in restructuring, restoring a lot of the old buildings there. So mm. he took us aside and showed us inside stuff. And, and at three o'clock they finished and these young guys said, let's go party. All the bars opened, you know, until like six, seven o'clock in the morning. All right, you know, I didn't sleep one one iota for three days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I slept good on the way home. Or, oh yeah. But I was. Did you know if you? I was going to bail out. I was in Miami. I this, if I got to wait another day, and I can't even be guaranteed a plane, I may not even get there in time. It's going to be right. over. Mm-hmm. Or we'll hold the convention over one or two more extra days until you get there. Yeah, so. You know, I didn't hang out with these contemporary artists. They were all really good. But, you know, as far as the contemporary work or the detail work, they were way out of my league. <clears throat> but, you know, yeah, they, they start to, to me, it looked like kind of duplications of each other. All the trees start looking the same. Mm-hmm. So I hung out with these young guys. And then uh, in Miami, I was going to come home. You know, I called them. They said, oh, no, come on. You know, so then when I was going to go home, I... I I look for my luggage. I could actually see it. It was in the baggage room. We had a big net over luggage. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can see my bags right there. I said, I'm going to go back to San Francisco. Can I get my bag out of here? Said, no, you can't. He said, that thing has a tag to Spain. Wow. Said, bag's going to go to Spain. Whether you go or not, your bag's going to go to Spain. He said, right there, can I do bag a sucker? Mm-hmm. So uh, I would have had to had the bank go to Spain, come back to Miami, and come back to San Francisco. You know, it might have been like a month before I got it. But luckily, mm. I went to Spain and it turned out to be one of the best experiences I ever had. Mm. Serendipity, right? Learn to those experiences. This is, this is how, you know, why me? I right. think at the beginning, you mentioned this idea of fate kind of getting you into trees and gardening. Yeah. And then it seems like it may have played in there too. Yeah, all my life. You know, I, I wrote my autobiographical sketch. Mm. Uh, it's just how things happen. You know, one in a trillion instances that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how I met, you know, that first pine tree I worked, you know, it was Tosawa Maru's nephews. Mm-hmm. Masi was doing it, just walking in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking about bonsai. Right. In the right place at the right time. And part of that was uh, you know, planning. So I was a president of the Bonsai Federation at the right time. Crucial moment. Mm-hmm. I had the plan. You know, I had all the problems of the Federation solved. During my four years of training as first and second vice president, mm-hmm. I just never completed it until my term. I want to get the credit for it. I want to... <laughs> <laughs> Over the OIA, you know, I did this, you know, and wow, I would take credit for it. So as soon as I became president, I, mean, I hit the ground running. I, I solved like five or six big issues. Mm. And at that time, it was almost a big war about uh, our collections in North and South. Wow. The funding, you know. Yeah. Some people, you know, they felt funding too much money to the Northern collection and and then uh, we had a curator there, but he was also president of the Golden State Bonsai Federation at that time. So it was like a lot of, mm-hmm. of course, he's going to lobby for the other California issues. Mm-hmm. But it's only California, you know, going ballistic. Mm-hmm. Knowing them all, and then you work out a solution or a compromise. Because the two collections had different financial needs. Southern California one is involved, it's partners with the Huntington. Mm-hmm. So the Huntington paid, you know, they pay for all the uh, utilities. It's, you know, their land, they got their own volunteers. But you, you are committed to having to put in X amount of dollars into our endowment fund. So they, we show good faith that we, you know, with Huntington, I'll lay that money, we're, we're here for sure. Mm-hmm. 
that point we built that from scratch. Wow. Yeah, construction costs. We had a lot of other stuff. So immediately we needed the money for you know Oakland before we needed for the Huntington, but you know that don't play well if you got a anybody's paying dues and two thirds go here. Right. So right. Compromise. Hey, you know this first year we'll, we'll give you twenty five thousand for Oakland and fifteen thousand for the Huntington. And wow. Next year I'll reverse it since I'm a two, president for two years. You know, so okay, and they, you know, what you do is you got a meeting, and then a board meeting was over the weekend. Mm. Saturday night, Sunday, and all oh, hell broke. You know, I had all the business done Saturday that I could. Mm-hmm. Four to five before we closed, I mean, about the issue of the collections and the funding. I mean, it's like people were throwing knives at each other. So, <laughs> so, well, we get it out. And we got, you know, you got to start the conversation at five because we got the dinner coming. And then that night, I talked to all the players you know, in the rooms and stuff. And, you know, just understand, you know, I know you're fired up, but it's just like, this is the solution. Mm. You know, got everybody agrees. So next morning, you know, all in favor. Everybody say, "Yeah, yeah." Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, I, I wanted to be the president at that time for the mm. Japanese American issue. But I knew it was the time where it's time to let go. It's over. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to badger anybody else. Plus, if you want to do this style once, I said, just don't talk bad about the old times. Right. Yeah, you know, just there's no class. Some guys are just crude, or you know, they weren't a John Knock kind of guys, but they fit into this one generation. So created this thing called the Circle Sensei Award. Mm. And we picked out all the prominent teachers, and like every convention, we honored maybe three to five. Mm-hmm. You know, so this, here's the white horse. Mm. Get on it. You know, the big award. Mm-hmm. Just see you later. I mean, it, you know, these guys all in their late 80s, 90s. It's, it's, you know, it's just, Here's the award recognition statewide for you. And then just kind of like let the next generation take over. Mm. You know, this is, you know, you've done your job and I'll put you in a history book. Mm-hmm. And bonsai basics, I'll, I'll, I'll make you, you know, an honorary teacher of the advanced people. Mm-hmm. And teaching basics to beginners is beneath you. Mm-hmm. you well, know, it was, you know, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Well, just figure out the compromises and so I was involved in all these programs for a reason. You know, and how can you get anybody unified in, in a state that's 87 clubs? It's, I figured once that basics was one. Mm-hmm. You know, every club has the same need. And then the next one was, uh, you know, like uh, I want the history of every club. Yeah, we've only been in business for one year. I said, that's okay. That's the best time to get the history. You know, you're right there. Right. Who's the first teacher? Where'd you meet? Who was the first original members? Just, you know, some people, these smaller clubs, there won't be books. Mm-hmm. You know, big clubs. So, yeah, he said it like a one-page thing. It's woefully inadequate. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a waste of their time. And we're famous. We don't have to write this thing down. So, mm-hmm. or, you know, I said, I'm going to collect other stuff. And I created an archive at the Huntington and just store it there. And one day, you know, you guys want to write a book about this stuff? It's, it's all the information is there. That's perfect. Yeah. So again, a lot of the history stuff about the Japanese Americans, I, I have some there. Right. And so for the Fuji Bonsai Club, I had some original records. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I just, they're all mildew and silverfish, but <laughs> I, I just stored them at the Huntington. And, mm. uh, it, it's a, it's a the Huntington Library and Gardens, the library part, it's an archival library. Okay. You know, so they're used to doing Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I asked the 
guy in charge of the horticulture department areas, can you give me an appointment with somebody at the library in the archival division, you know, like a student or somebody, a trainee, mm -hmm. just so I know what to do with my, my files, you know, archival paper, whatever. And I, I went there for the appointment and the head archivist actually talked to me. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I don't need this guy, you know, I'm just talking about these old things like silverfish on it, you know, mold. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he, he didn't throw me out. He gave me like 10 minutes of his time. It was cool. So we have an archive if you need some, if anybody wants to do a more detailed thing on the Golden State Bonsai Federation, it's all there. That's great to know. Yeah, I, I did not know that there was that uh, application in regards to historical preservation. Yeah. Uh, with that, that's really good to know because, you know, if we don't know where American Bonsai came from, where do we ever know where we'll go, right? That's true. That and and in that, you know, and that leads me to a question that like I'd love to hear about where you think it's going from your experiences throughout all the things you've done. Where do you see bonsai in America going? Like, you know, where do you want to see it go? Yeah, okay. For me, I don't want to see it going. I mean, it's it's I don't do bonsai anymore. I, mean, I have preferences, but you know what? This is old, you know, I'm just again, yesterday's news. You know, right. like, uh, if I don't do, I can't talk about it. I used to rail against talking heads. You know, that, uh, mm -hmm. the one guy wrote a book on wabi sabi. You know, I looked at his stuff. It's the antithesis of wabi sabi. This is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to call talk about wabi sabi. I don't even know what it means, but I know it don't mean what I'm seeing here. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I do have, you know, if people ask me my personal opinion. I says I, I for a while I didn't like the way it was going, mm -hmm. but that is just changing hands just, and i knew that the japanese american influence was, was greatly waning right at their point was not even influence mm -hmm. so i'm talking about people want to preserve history you know it's like <clears throat> so i understand that part and i i do feel uh the field is this because of the pandemic it just really crashed mm -hmm. especially here in california mm. in meet for two years a lot of people had died off, whether Japanese American or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the, the core of the old time group and the group right behind them, right before them, or me and about five of us were considered the next generation, mm -hmm. or like Andy Shaner or like Ted Madsen. <clears throat> but we all on our own decided one thing is like we will assist our teachers. Mm -hmm. It was our turn and we could just, you know, move them aside. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's happening now. People, you know, they get a little, I don't know, fame and glory, and then they go out there and then you blurt their philosophies out, mm. how they fix things. And, you know, my group, you know, we, we propped up our instructors. We, mm. you know, at the end, they were just too elderly to really do a, a, a statewide convention demonstration or something like that. But, you know, in honor of them, we, you know, we kept them out there as long as we could. Right. Live on their lineage, right? Yeah, not not as an embarrassment to them. They they enjoyed being in that fame of glory, and we just right let them have their time, and it just happened to be <clears throat> at the cost of our time. Mm. <clears throat> so the next generation after us, they're really, you know, they're more uh, centered on their careers, their reputation, and mm. on the fast track. Mm. So it's like for yourself, if you had spent time with Dan, and is there a time where you move them out? Mm. Doing the same thing or the same program, you know, wow, you know, should it be you on the program in Washington or should it be him? Mm. You know, and there are schools of thought on this stuff. Well, he's kind of like, mm. oh, he's been around a long time. We need new blood. Mm. Yeah. You know, I understand that. It's just, uh, if you could do it, 
diplomatically explain how things are going. And mm. you know, people don't even like the way you, your philosophy anymore. Mm. So uh, ours was uh, the next generation coming up was very talented. Mm. And the generation after that, you know, well, I consider like uh, you mentioned Michael Hagedorn or, or Ryan Neal, Bjorn. I think they're like in between the generation after us and the generation, you know, next one. They're, but you know, it's their time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm not saying uh, don't study with them or stuff like that. But if it's, you know, if you have your own school, then you can kind of like one way. It's like if you're out there nationally and give presentations and you're invited, great. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like uh, for a while, Mike, the generation after us, they were like, uh, oh, demanding maestro fees. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it just the conventions couldn't support that after a while. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was a lot of things going, and then all the clubs, all the organizations went broke. You right. know, just one one convention to lose a lot of money, and then you're screwed. Right. right. So it's like everybody either volunteered or you get one headliner, and all the other people. We did workshops, mm-hmm. like uh, John Naka did a workshop. But they just well, hey, we'll just give you free room. Wow. Free registration. It wasn't like yeah, there's thousand for you and a thousand for you. Wow. <clears throat> but that's I wonder how he made a living doing that, I guess. Yeah, well, they, you know, this was their hobby. You know, they were, mm-hmm. they did other things, gardeners, landscapers. Mm-hmm. So this was just, uh, you know, but now it's a profession. So I realize it's much different. Mm-hmm. And I see it, it's changing too. Yeah. So uh, well, it's just, Hawaii has changed. Yeah. California is changing. And it's uh, whether it's good or bad, who knows? Right. I don't know what criteria you use or what's, what's, what's good and what's bad. Doing for free, you know, well, that was <laughs> we did the signs. We have a very popular event called the Shohin Summer every other year, mm-hmm. Central California. And we found out something. It's a cow pasture out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and the hotel was always leaking in the wintertime. This is a February <laughs> event. You make it cheap. People come. Mm-hmm. The right, you know, we, we, when we set it up, we said no instructor will get a fee mm-hmm. for your time. Mm-hmm. Some people resented that. Well, that's okay. Don't come. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a workshop chair a lot of times. Well, do I ask John Naka or do I ask Harry Harrell or Mazi Mizumi or mm-hmm. Ted Madsen, Warren Hill? You know, I had like 30 people to choose from. Mazi mm-hmm. Ishii from LA. And I said, well, you don't want to come. Okay, well, I'll just bring this person in. And it was an honor for them to be, you know, this is a Japanese American thing. It was an honor for them to be asked. Mm-hmm. And the guy, Mazi Ishii, was a very famous grafter. And then he has a nursery. He had a, he died. His, his Chikugo Inn down in Los Angeles. And he was so stunned and happy that I asked him to do a workshop because he's mm. probably he was at the time the leading bonsai grafter in the United States. Wow. You know, all, a lot of people studied with him. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I asked him, he was so overwhelmed. Like, wow. He said, Well, can I, you know, thanks for her. And at the end, can I give you this? Uh, Really nice Kishu Shimpaku or Toyogami Shimpaku. It's um, mm. probably worth a thousand dollars. I should. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he gave me all these nice things just because I, I included him and he deserved to be there in the first place. Mm. But you got to be in that. You know, there's certain in crowds and certain people and you always get asked. Right. Right. So, huh, well, it's part of the perks of setting it up. That was Rawls place and get California Jennifer. But I said, I need these plants a year ahead of time. Mm. Some of you know, sometimes you get these things that are California, they're still wobbling in the pot. So I had to bring it home, secure it, eat the heck out of it, 
make mm-hmm. sure I'm worthy. Worthy. So well, you know, I get a ten. He said, "Well, I take one for yourself." All right, thank you. Well, I would. I actually, I took two because I needed one as a spare. Mm-hmm. If you have ten in the workshop, you need eleven. I keep the spare too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm kind of scrupulous, but that's okay. It was part of the fun. Yeah, that's that's um, that's that blows my mind because we never heard this right. And being that we haven't been in California for longer than maybe a weekend <laughs> for whatever we're doing, um, it, it's 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 things I've heard, and I'm sure Ryan has heard too. That there are people, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. Ryan's in his late 20s, okay. um, and so like we're hearing these people our age in our you know our groups that want to know the history because they want to know where it came from, and where they can help preserve or just. Maybe they want to try one of their trees in the Japanese American style, this naturalized, you know, uh, benign neglect. Yeah, right. right, right. People remember it. Right. And that is such an amazing ability to articulate it all as you have, just because there's so much there. And it's just like, yeah, wow. (laughs) I thought that that I did the unscrupulous thing, but it was just, I threw away a lot of historical stuff. As I told the, you know, when my plants are gone, I said, everything must go. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll give you paperwork, books, mm-hmm. and uh, scrolls, everything. I had tools, and uh, you know, but no one wanted the old paperwork. Wow. So I, you know, you put the unofficial word anybody wanted, no one, no one came up, so I, I dumped it up. You know, like 60, 70 years worth of history there. But say. I did what I needed to do, and I gave mm-hmm. everybody else a chance, and I. Well, you should be the keeper of all this stuff. I say, well, you should forget it, man. I, I did it for 40 years, and I was trying to other things I need to do. You want to go to Hawaii and lay on the beach. <laughs> yeah, it's like this homemade Isayama. You know, I had eight clay pots, just terracotta mm-hmm. pots. Mm-hmm. And then I, at the Fuji Bonsai Club, when I first joined, you know, I was like a door monitor. And then uh, well, I noticed at the plant sale table, there was like these eight terracotta pots, mm-hmm. for like a dollar each. You know, no model. I looked at them and it has some calligraphy inscribed you know, on the side, you know, hand chiseled in there. Mm-hmm. That was from Homie Isayama. What actually had a signature on there? Wow. And for a dollar each. And you know, he was like the pioneer. Uh, so I bought them all. And then, so I donated that stuff. I said, this is historically significant. Homie Isayama, you know, calligraphy on here. And uh, basically, they dumped them out. Really? Uh, no one wants these terracotta pots. I said, oh, God. Huh. Well, you know, I could have kept them at home, but I, just, I thought I was going to do a good deed and pass along. And someone would want to know something about the history. Right. He is the, you know, the person. Mm-hmm. He's based out of the Bay, as far as one side. Right. And one actually had his name on there. He, it was a chip in the pot. A comment mm-hmm. was, pot has a, a broken part in it. We, no one wants that thing. So they threw it up. Hey, all you fabulous listeners out there. This is your host, Kevin. Thanks for listening to part two. Make sure to stay tuned for part three coming out next week. And remember, fall stay on. Today's episode has been recorded, produced, and edited by Kevin Ferris and Ryan Houston. Our music was provided by MIDI Cancer. To find more music from MIDI Cancer, check out their SoundCloud and Bandcamp pages. To find more information on the podcast, please check out our Instagram page, Bonsai Time Podcast, and our website, bonsaitimepodcast.com. To stay in touch with us, Kevin's Instagram is Kevin underscore ferris pnw and ryan's website is 
right2tree2.com. You can find these links in the description below. Thank you for listening and bonsai on!